Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt Flagel. And I'm your other host, Kim Ward. And today we have my friend, Zed Freeze. We've only known each other for, what, a few months now? Maybe five or six? Yeah, I think six months. And I'm so excited to hear more of your story today. First off, give us a little background for you, like what's going on in your life right now. Well, about, I guess like nine months ago, I became... Uh, the youth pastor at Coastal Community Church, as well as the job I already had there, which was the worship position at the church. So I've been doing double trouble. So balancing those two things while also figuring out getting married and figuring out all of that stuff. I've been pretty, pretty busy up until this week that I have off. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. So well, and how long have you been there? Uh, it's coming up on two years. I actually had applied for the position that I have now three years ago, and I didn't get it. They picked someone else. And then after about a year and COVID started, they realized that they needed more help with worship. So originally, when they asked me to come again, Hillary, who was the, the main worshiper at the time, was going to be leading, and I was going to be basically doing all the services or times of worship that she was unable to and then two days after I started working at Coastal, Hillary said, oh, I'm uh, I'm leaving, so you're going to be in charge of all the worship. And when the youth pastor left nine-ish months ago, I had already been working with the youth. And so originally they asked me to be the interim. Uh, and I was like, told the elders, look, I don't think that you should find someone else. I think that I'm called to be here and called to do this. And I've already had experience doing this. So I think it makes the most sense for me to just keep doing this. So here we are nine months later, and Kim helps out as one of the main four core that we have that tackles teenage angst together. So, <laughs> Oh, man, yeah. And for me, it was so funny because it was such a God thing in the first place for us to even make that connection. Mutual friends of both Kurt and I, uh, Brett and Serena go to Coastal, and then I would come mm-hmm. every once in a while Yeah, with them just to kind of have a break and switch things up. Yeah, we knew of each other, and we'd talk every once in a while, but it wasn't really more than that. Yeah. And that's mostly my fault, because <laughs> I, I am an introvert by nature, so when I'm up on the stage doing worship, like, I love being in front of people on a stage and having a microphone. I'm really good at that, and that's like one of the things I love the most. The second I come off the stage and I have to do small talk with people, that's like the least favorite part of my job. So that's an area of growth for me because that is also a part of the ministry. But then we did start talking. Because I'm an introvert too. So your wife, Denise, I had never talked to her. And all of a sudden she starts talking to me and she asks questions. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, like I did youth ministry and all this stuff. She's like, you have to talk to Zed. (laughs) This is why she's my better half, because she's also really extroverted. Whenever we're at home, she's just like, and we're doing something, or we're, you know, something funny happens, she's like, we should call this person. We should text this person. We should let them know that this happened. I'm like, okay, sure. She's really good at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because then we started talking, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, give me your number. And I heard myself randomly going like, oh, well, if you want more help. I very much do want your help. And, and it very much slipped out. It wasn't an intentional thing on my part mm-hmm. at all. 
And then so I'm like leaving and we're driving home and Brett and Serena are talking. And I'm sitting there going, I'm like, God, what the heck did I just do? <laughs> what did I just sign what up did, for? What did I just do? Well, then I'm like, okay, God, because I didn't get your number. You got my number and I right. have no way of contacting right. you. And so I'm like, okay, God, if this is you, then that's going to reach out. If not, I'm just going to work on the assumption that that was me being odd and it wasn't God. <laughs> mm. And then it was like a month later and I was like, hey, Kim. I'm like, oh. Darn, I thought I was out of this. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the timeline very well when that interaction happened. Because like I said, I've been pretty busy. But I've been yeah. pretty busy now for like months and months. Yeah. So when when the previous youth pastor left, it was like very sudden. So it was all of a sudden I went from one job to two jobs more or less. So then... For a while there, I was just trying to figure out even what my resources were, like who my volunteers were, who was going to be able to help, you know, interact with the kids and also who should do that. That's a big one. Yeah, because yeah. I actually am hesitant. I, I'm hesitant of this in most areas of asking people to help who maybe have more experience than me. And it doesn't usually stop me from asking, but I just get in my head of like, well, what if they think I'm just doing a terrible job, you know? Mm. But I was like, I was like, I really think Kim's supposed to help. And I guess just a theme in our church generally is that a lot of the people there have been hurt by churches, which is true both of the people that help on my teams and also the people that we serve on our teams. And so there's also that added pressure of like, well, I don't, I don't want to like <laughs> reactivate any wounds for people or be another reason that someone hates church or, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm glad you reached out. Like, it's I'm been... also glad. <laughs> I'm glad now, too. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. And I guess I should clarify, I actually am very good one-on-one with people. That That I'm pretty comfortable with, but it's when... The intention of the conversation is not to go necessarily very deep. Oh. That I don't... That's the part I don't like because I'm kind of like a hard on my sleeve kind of person. And especially when I come off of doing worship, because I try to do that very vulnerably. So, and most of the time that people do talk to me, it is very good. I just get in my head about it. Or maybe it's not even an introvert thing. It might just be my own wounds and things. But in my head, I, I don't want church to be a place where people feel like they have to perform and I think mm. Andy the pastor I work with now he and I share that desire that we want the church that we cultivate with God to be one where there's honesty and vulnerability not just to God but with each other and that's just something that we we really strive for as a team and as a staff so and I'd say getting to experience that youth group mm-hmm. you know with you I mean, it's, I was just like, this is amazing. You know, I've been in a lot of youth groups and where that wasn't the case, where the youth pastor, you know, seemed like they had everything all together and everything was perfect. And mm-hmm. it was very much about performance. And obviously I didn't fit in very well <laughs> in those groups mm-hmm. because, well, I'm human, which means I wasn't perfect and I wasn't very good at hiding that I wasn't perfect. So, I mean, it's something I really appreciate mm. um, about getting to be there is knowing that 
that I'm safe. And I know it's something that the kids mm. seem to be enjoying because they keep inviting more of their friends. Mm. Yeah. For those that don't know, our youth group is mostly made up of students who don't know Jesus or don't go to church. So that is ideally where we want it to be. But one of the more recent things that, uh, and I think I've talked about this with the youth group as a whole, but as someone who is a Christian, who wants to love and have these students feel accepted and heard, it's like finding that balance between trying to have them know Jesus and not forcing that in a way that makes them feel unheard, I guess is the simplest way to say that. And so a lot of times when I'm like trying to come up with what I'm going to talk about with them, like there's stuff that God is working on in me or stuff that I'm, you know, realizing that in my relationship with Jesus or whatever that I want to share with them, but that's not where they're at. And so like, while that might be helpful on like a Sunday, like when I'm leading worship, that doesn't necessarily translate well to the youth group that we currently have. So one of the things that Jesus has just been telling me lately is like, stop trying to like make this what you think it should be. Just talk with them about what it is that you're going through right now. Because I I share a lot about, you know, my as I think most people in ministry do, but a lot of times we talk about the stuff that has happened to us and not often the stuff that is currently happening to us until it's been kind of more or less dealt with. So I just started sharing about the stuff that I was wrestling with and what I was having a hard time with and the stuff that I was hurting about and the people that had hurt me and and not for very long. I guess like maybe five to ten minutes, if that. And so just then saying, okay, now how do you connect with this? And giving them time to journal and usually give them like five minutes and then we have them break up into small groups and then just give them the space to share if they want about what it is that they wrote about. And most of them share, not all of them do, which is fine. Knowing your boundary and what is comfortable to share is good. But then we just get the opportunity to to love them and, and let them feel seen and to air out the things that they don't talk about with other people. Even the people that they're best friends with, that they're there with, that they don't tell these things to. Mm-hmm. So, And then when they do that with their friends, then they get to start, you know, feeling more seen and loved by that person alongside us they might not remember any of the bible verses we ever look at or any of the you know the prayers we teach them or any of the stuff about god but they will remember that when they were in junior high or high school that they had christians who loved them and were there for them through some really hard stuff and that could mean the difference between them wanting a relationship with Jesus and being turned off by a relationship with Jesus. So that was a long-winded answer to what our youth group is, but there you go. (laughs) But it's good. I mean, it's exactly what I've enjoyed about it. Mm -hmm. So I know a little bit of your story, but I honestly don't know a lot of it because we haven't had a lot of time to talk. So I don't, I've I've heard bits and pieces of your story, Mm -hmm. but I honestly don't, know a lot of your story at all so i'm kind of wondering like where's life wounded you where's god shown up well i guess just kind of to start out i was like the miracle baby when i was born my mom had a lot of miscarriages before Mm -hmm. she had me and the doctors told her repeatedly and she has her own whole story about her life and all the stuff that she's been through but 
the short of it is that she had suffered so much abuse and trauma that they were convinced that she wasn't going to be able to have kids. But she felt a calling that she was supposed to be a mom. So she was like, God told me this and I believe. And so then she had me and I was born premature. They thought I had cerebral palsy, um, which is the swelling of the brain. Your brain presses against the inside of your skull and causes brain damage. I did not have that. I just had really, really, really bad asthma. But it was so bad that I, for the first year I was alive, had to sleep in a baby swing because if I laid down, my lungs would collapse. But I am a lot healthier now, so you couldn't even tell. So yeah, just growing up, generally speaking, I was just pretty sick. I would miss months of school. Like, I've had, like, bronchitis, strep, croup. All the ones that you could have, I've gotten multiple times. My family has just had a lot of, like, weird medical situations. Like, I was, like, maybe four or five, and I was really sick, and I was supposed to be taking this medicine, and my dad, being a little bit absent-minded, forgot to give me the medicine. And I woke up in the middle of the night and came out in the living room. My whole face was, like, tomato red. Like, I'm not exaggerating when I say that, because I had a temperature of 108. So they drove me to the hospital, gave me an IV of cold water, and... I've covered in like ice blankets and you know all the all the all the stuff they do to cool people down, and because of that, now my body temperature is like usually like a degree and a half lower than most people. So most people are like ninety eight six. My normal is like ninety seven. So yeah, growing up, I I got bullied a lot, just mostly because I think I'm an easy person to bully. Like, when people mess with me, like, I react pretty strongly. Not negatively, necessarily, but, like, even now, my wife loves messing with me because I just am very emotive when I react to whatever it is that she's doing. My mom talks about how they put me in karate to learn self-defense, and I wouldn't use it. Probably mostly because I didn't understand what self-defense meant, but I basically was... Like, whoever the karate teacher was explained it in a way that I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to hurt people. So when people would hurt me, I would just be like, don't, don't hurt people. That's bad. I went to public school through third grade, and then uh, I got moved because I was getting bullied so much. So I, my grandparents are pretty wealthy, so they paid for me and my sisters to start going to a private Christian school. So you had all this bullying, you had all this stuff going on, mm-hmm. you're going, but you're also then you're going to church, mm-hmm. and you've got complete opposite messages, hopefully, at least in some respects. So how did this, like, where, when did you wind up actually connecting with God? I don't really remember a time that I wasn't, that I didn't believe in God. My mom, I mean, both my parents, but my mom especially, is, the best way I can describe it is she's probably the most obedient Christian I've ever met, in the sense that she does the things that God asks her to at great cost to herself. And she just really led by example. You know, especially when I got into high school and stuff, if I didn't want to go to youth group, she didn't force me to go. Mm. And Or like if I didn't want to go to church on a Sunday, she wouldn't force me or my sisters to go. But she would also talk about her faith and all that kind of stuff. So just growing up, I had this very clear understanding that church was not a place. It was, if there's two of us and and we're praying or talking about God or whatever, then that's that's what church is. That's what church is supposed to be. So 
So yeah, I think the moment for me that all of this became really real, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Calvin Crest. It's a camp up in Yosemite. Um, I have. I have been going to that camp since I was four years old, and then I worked there for a long time after I graduated high school. Uh, I was there, I think I was in fourth grade. So this was like right around the time that I had switched schools. It was the summer before or after I'd switched schools. I don't remember. And two of the, like, lead counselors were, like, messing around or, like, doing something in front of all of us. And one of the lead counselors, his name was Jeff, he uh, he had, like, a pre-existing, like, knee problem. But basically, he had, like, torn something in his knee or his kneecap was, like, in the wrong position. I don't remember what happened, but it was bad. Like, he was, like, could not walk. And so I just remember he had gone to the infirmary and all of us, I mean, cause there's maybe 14 of us in our little group. Like, you know, there's all the other people in the camp, but our group that he was in charge of was like 14 to 20 kids. And all the other counselors were like, let's pray for Jeff like that. His knee gets better. And I remember the next morning he showed up and his knee was fine. And we were like, what is going on? <laughs> like we were, we were just freaking out. Like we prayed to God and then he did a thing and now his knee's better. What is happening? Like, it was like one of the first times that I got to like tangibly see something like that myself. Like I had seen stuff happen. Like my sister had gotten bit by a brown recluse when she was little and they were going to have to amputate her arm. And my mom had asked like any person that she could think of that would pray and ask them to pray and the swelling went down and she didn't have to get her arm amputated. So like I had known about stuff like that and I'd heard all these stories and you know, all this stuff, but this was the first time that I had prayed and something had happened. And I was like, okay, like this is pretty legit. (laughs) So that was the first moment I think that I really, that it really became real. You have this moment where this guy's hurt. Mm-hmm. And you see God step in. That was, I guess, more personal because you were involved in that. Yeah. But how about you? Where's a moment where you were hurt? The moments that you're willing to share about mm-hmm. where you experienced a hurt, and through that, you know, process or whatever, you saw God step in for yeah. you personally. I've mentioned my dad a little bit, but my relationship with my dad. He's not necessarily a bad father. Like, he is kind. He does stuff with us. Like, he shows up when we need him and stuff. But he's never really been that involved. As Just as an example, like, my youngest sister has had the same, like, best friends in school since she was in, like, second grade. And he, up until, like, a few years ago, could not remember their names. Like, just that kind of stuff. Like... I would say I realized probably about a year ago that I probably had the the shallowest relationship with him out of my immediate family. And that has kind of like impacted just my relationships with men in general because growing up I had this amazing mom and sisters and like other women in my life. Both of my, or I guess I have three grandmothers, but all of my grandmothers were very invested in my life or knew what was going on or like took interest and most of my grandfathers did not so just generally my relationship with men has not been the healthiest I guess like 
I just, I think, assume, generally speaking, unconsciously, that most men probably don't care about me or what I'm doing or what is going on. And that has been true not just in my family, but, like, my experiences growing up. Like, when I was in high school and I was on the worship team, the whole reason I was playing electric guitar in the first place was because we had more acoustic guitarists than electric guitarists. And so I, I told the the worship teacher or whatever, hey, I'm willing to switch to electric guitar. I just want you to know I don't know what I'm doing. I've never played electric guitar before. I only have this electric guitar because so-and-so gave it to me. And he was like, great, you know, whatever. And he hated me. He treated me so badly. And I just remember he would blame me for everything. Anytime something happened with the music, anytime like a song messed up or whatever, he would blame me. And it got to the point where I, like I wanted to see if it was like, I was actually that bad or if it was him. So we were rehearsing one time and I unplugged the guitar. I sat on the amp, I turned the amp off and then I put the guitar behind my back. So there was no way any sound was coming out. He gets halfway through the song and he stops and he goes, Hey Zed, you were doing this thing and it messed everything up. I go, I don't know what you're hearing, but it literally cannot be me. Just that kind of stuff happened a lot. Not all the time. Like I did have some good male mentors in my life, but overall it's been not the best. Mm -hmm. So when I figured all this out, I was talking with Andy and April, the pastor and his wife at the church that I work at, just kind of processing it out loud with them and writing stuff down. And when I went away from that conversation... I realized that, like, yes, he's my friend, and yes, he's my boss, but also in a lot of ways, he is a father figure to me in, mm -hmm. in some ways. And I told him that, like, whether you like it or not, <laughs> you you have this role in my life right now. And he was like, okay. And so there's just been a lot of times, especially recently, where he has shown up in the place of my father in places where my dad should have shown up it's still not comfortable <laughs> like that's still something that is very foreign to me and that I'm trying to figure out and it also is interesting because then when Andy as a human being makes a mistake or says something or you know whatever it unfortunately is attached to all these other things so then I have to like take a bit and like be like okay <laughs> Some of this is Andy. A lot of this is not, you know, and just take the time to, to work through that. And that's my work in progress right now is, mm -hmm. or I guess one of the areas of progress for me right now is, is healing from the wounds that men have left in my life. That's huge, but I mean, it seems like God's showing up with Andy and bringing men into your life now who are a safer place for you, even if it doesn't totally feel that way yet yeah Andy's talked about this before but he had all of his own father wounds and when he became a dad the way that he explained it was like God was healing me of my father wounds by having me love my sons through being a father hmm. and I think now his role has been not just for me but for other people to be the father that at least some parts of what a father should be to those who have not had that. And so I think that at whatever point, hopefully that I have kids, that I will have some of that same healing in that way of getting to love 
my kids the way that I wanted to be loved by my dad. Before I worked here, I worked at a church in Ojai as their youth pastor, and I'd never been a youth pastor before. It was the first time. So I really didn't know what I was doing. But what I learned and what the people who were my supervisors and mentors there taught me was you can learn all the other stuff, but the main thing you need to do is just love the students. If you can love them, then all the other stuff will work out. But that's the main thing. If you don't love them, then none of the other stuff matters. Those are wise words. They are very wise words. I would say just in ministry in general, if you do not love the people that you are serving, I would say 99 times out of 100, whatever you're trying to do isn't going to have the effect you want it to have. Because I know that it's in scripture, but I know it from a song. There's a song called Nothing Slash Something where it says like, I could do all these things, but if I did it without love, at best, it would mean nothing. As in, at the the best case scenario when you do something without love is that nothing happens, that it was a, it was a net neutral. Mm. At worst, you caused a wound, you did something for someone in the name of God or the church or whatever that caused a wound because you did that without love. Like, that's the worst case scenario. And so that song goes on to say with love it all means something hopefully it all means something i want it to mean something with love and so that to me is something really important that i try to emulate in most of my life when i was going to work at this church in ojai i really didn't want to leave the job i was at i was very good at the job i was at i had a lot of fun it was in a place i liked i was like the golden boy of the of the job I had. Like Was that Calvin Crest? That was at Calvin Crest. Okay. I was at that point I was the assistant director. So basically like the vice principal of the outdoor school that you send your sixth graders to. Mm. And I loved it. I was very good at it. Then I get a call one day and this church is asking me if I want to go be a youth pastor at their in their tiny town with mostly retired people where I didn't know anyone. And so I was moving away not just from a job but from my family, from the church I'd grown up in to the friends that I had in the area. Like I was literally going from more or less everything I'd ever wanted to nothing other than that was where I felt like God was calling me. I didn't say no to going, but in my head it was like, this isn't what's supposed to happen. I remember talking with God and being like, I really don't want to go. Like, it's like, I really don't want to move away from my family. And like that day, we had like a staff Bible study and it was talking about the cost. I think it's called the cost of discipleship. The The gist of it was like the cost of being a disciple meant leaving behind your job, your family, your wealth, your leaving behind everything to follow Jesus. Like when you look at the disciples that Jesus called, he called them to leave everything behind, you know, Yes, there is stuff that's happening and stuff that you care about, stuff that matters, but I, what I have for you to do right now is more important than that. Like, leave that behind, and that stuff will get handled, and it's okay to grieve those things, and I still need you to leave those behind to go where I'm calling you. Mm. And I just felt so convicted, like, <sighs> okay, fine, Jesus, like, I'll go. <laughs> I kind of had decided at that point, like, okay, I'll I'll go, but I wasn't really happy about it, and... I remember maybe a week later as the realization that I was going to move, you know, four hours away and do a job I've never done and be around people I've never met. I was playing electric for the church that I was going to, that I grew up in. 
And I don't remember what song it was, but I just heard so clearly God say, I will give you a new family where you're going. Like, I will give that to you. For a long time while I was there, I just felt so alone. Like, the people who live in Ojai love Ojai and think it's the greatest place. As someone who did not grow up there, it's a very small town and you feel very much an outsider until you don't. And that did not happen to me until, like, a few months before I left. So even, even with God, because during the service when worship music was playing... Like, that's when the pastors would go around and talk to people and say hello. Like, it wasn't, people weren't worshiping. That was not what that time was used for. And what I learned in my two years there was that worship is something that I need. It's a physical need that I have to worship and music and to do that. So not having that, really, for two years was rough. So all that to say, January of 2020, I had taken a bunch of students to winter camp up at Thousand Pines and... While we were there, we were in worship, and I'd only brought 10 students. And I looked to my right, down the aisle, and I saw all my all these kids I had brought and spent a year or two pouring into, and they were all just sitting there. And I heard God say, this is the family that I promised you. And then I was just a wreck. <laughs> I was just crying and crying and crying. And I remember one of them came up to me and was like, are you, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes like, you just seem really sad. And I go, why do you think I'm sad? He goes, you're just crying like a lot. You've been crying like the whole weekend. And I go, no, I'm not. I'm not sad. I go, they're happy tears. Like you guys being here is like an answer to prayer that I've had for years now. Me being in youth ministry, God is using me to be a friend or a mentor or a father to those who need those things and aren't getting them in the places that they should. And that that is one of my greatest and most fulfilling parts of my life. And it is also one of the hardest because there's a boundary that has to be maintained in order for those relationships to remain healthy. Mm. And as someone who wants to just not, you know, I want to not see people suffer as I think most people do. But I can't fix a lot of the stuff that's going on with these students that I love dearly. Like, I've spent a lot of nights just sitting with my wife, Denise, and just crying because I see so much brokenness that I can't heal. And I trust that God is doing something and is restoring them. But I also know that people have free will, and these students that I've spent all this time loving and caring for could very well choose something other than what God is offering them. And that is rough. (laughs) So. Yeah, I I haven't had a chance to tell you yet. So this is a new one. Oh, okay. I'm I'm getting filled in too. Great. So, as you know, I did youth ministry. Mm -hmm. And I'm, what, 10 years, 11 years older than you? Mm -hmm. And people who listened to our podcast before know I was let go from a church Mm -hmm. after being there for almost 18 years. And losing everything all at once. And for me, one of the hardest parts was feeling like I had failed my students. Mm. Like, ooh, (laughs) there go the waterworks on my end. Mm. You know, and watching them in the last 10 years grow up. But one of the students that I poured into probably the most, probably had less boundaries than I should have, but to the point where I was like, this is my son. Mm -hmm. This is the one that no matter what stupid thing he does, and there were plenty... And then there were the ones I found out about later. Yeah. Um, 
that I, I always told him, I'm like, no matter what you do, I love you. God loves you. You know, no matter what. And then I, I watched him pretty well walk away from all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it was different with him because he he was, at least for a while, very enthusiastic about following God, and mm-hmm. you know, standing up in front of five hundred strange teenagers who he didn't know, giving his testimony about what God had done, mm-hmm. and then watching him walk away, was probably one of the most heartbreaking things. Um, for me and my ministry was a lot like what we're doing now, mm-hmm. where it was almost all kids who didn't know God and you know Kurt and I had been talking about it when we met last week and we're specifically talking about this one kid and we wound up praying for him you know because I'm friends with him on Instagram still Mm -hmm. why he thought that was a good idea (laughs) (laughs) I don't know because I've just been going oh I'm horrified (laughs) no don't look the stuff you're seeing the stuff I'm seeing him post the stuff I'm seeing him talk about Mm -hmm. do I'm it doesn't change my love for him. It just breaks my heart when I'm seeing all this stuff. And so that was Thursday that we prayed for that. And then so was, Sunday was Easter. And, you know, I went to bed early. And I woke up the next morning. And I have a message. I have a, a message on Instagram from this kid. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, hey, just wanted to let you know. Like, happy belated Easter. Thank you for always being so good to me and helping me establish my faith. Like, I love you so much, you're in my prayers, and, like, I reached back out. And I was like, hey, if you want to get together and talk. And he's like, I'd love that. He's like, God has been impacting my life in amazing ways lately. And just brought back to me memories of youth group and Spirit West Coast. Mm. He's like, it's been such a strong calling and amazing feeling. I'm sitting there, I'm, like, bawling my eyes out. <laughs> like, I, I sent, like, screenshot it and sent it to Kurt right away. Because I was like, we literally just talked about that Thursday, just prayed about it. And I had to wait ten years. Mm-hmm. Plus, to hear anything that remotely resembles fruit. Oh, the metaphor that I like to use for working in youth ministry, it feels like you're just throwing stuff into a black hole. One of the first few times I gave like a, a talk at a youth group, I remember talking and the kids that looked the most distracted, the most over whatever it is I was saying, the ones that like... I was positive that they were not getting anything that I was saying. Came to me like a month later, like, hey, remember when you said that thing? Like, that really, like, that really, like, affected me deeply. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, I just, and then, like, the ones that I was like, oh, you guys are all in. Like, you guys got this. Like, you know, a year later, are like, just gone. <laughs> it's like, you just never know with youth ministry. Like, just whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you try to, like, cultivate, you will probably never know the effect that that had on the student that you had in mind or that showed up that day for that thing. And sometimes, thankfully, we get those moments, like them texting or or, or even just reaching out in a time of need knowing that we're there for them. Like, those moments are, like, the really amazing moments. But most of the time, that's not what happens. <laughs> most of the time, like, you're dealing with their sass and them talking when you're talking and... You have to have a lot of patience to work in youth ministry has been my experience. Like to yeah. last in youth ministry, you have to have patience and a lot of love. We, as human beings, we like results, mm-hmm. which of course is what makes part of what makes ministry and especially youth ministry so hard. But I remember, ironically, it was a Spirit West Coast memory from the year that the kid and I went. There was this guy who was a youth pastor to this huge church from Modesto. We're talking like, I think he brought over 400 students. Mm. 
like just humongous you know and and it was a case of us just slipping in he's like oh you know they opened the doors if anyone wanted to come in but he shares this story he talked about the story then he's like talks about this guy on the beach walking with his family and there's this random crazy man down or seeming crazy man down at the edge of the water and there's all these starfish that have washed up on the beach and the man just keeps racing back and forth and every time he sees a starfish he throws it back into the ocean but there's thousands of starfish on the beach and the, the guy's sitting there going he's like what is he doing what's the point of this mm. so he goes up to the guy and he's like what are you doing you can't possibly you're not making any difference and the guy looks at him bends down picks up another starfish throws it back into the ocean he says it made a difference to that one mm-hmm and that's, that's it. We're just picking up starfish off the beach, <laughs> throwing them back into the ocean, going, this is where life is. Stop crawling out. Stop, stop crawling out, please. <laughs> Go back in there. You know? But it was that reminder, the constant reminder. It was like, but you made a difference to that one. Yeah. One of the guys that I was friends with in high school that we would lead worship together sometimes, his prayer that I adopted was... Even if this only is for one person, like not that only one person would necessarily show up, but that all this worship and all this stuff we're about to do is only so that one person gets to talk with Jesus tonight. That's worth it. Mm. Like even if 99 out of the 100 people that are here don't get anything out of this, if one person does, that's enough. And that's hard because 99 times out of 100, it feels like a failure. It feels like you messed up. It feels like you didn't do enough. It feels like you had something you could have done and didn't do. And that's why this happened. But had we not talked to that student, had we not led worship, had we not done this or that, then that one person that would have gotten reached didn't because we let all the other 99 times stop us. As I'm listening, there's this, I got all kinds of stuff going on in my mind. But the one thing right now is Jesus is at the well with mm-hmm. this woman, and he's ministering to her, right? Mm-hmm. And he he said himself, he you know, the good shepherd leaves the ninety nine, right? The shepherd leaves the ninety nine to go search for the one lost. So here he is, ministering to this one lost woman. And do you remember what happens next? That what that one woman, that one woman does. Yep. What does she do? Get the whole towns all in now. <laughs> so Jesus invested in her, mm-hmm. and then she calls the whole town in. And so we don't know what that one starfish that got thrown back in the ocean is going to do, right? And what I hear in this for both of you. And especially in your story of talking about the father wounds, and you, you mentioned Andy and his father wounds and how he is pouring into you, right? It reminded me of Jesus telling this story that we call the story of the lost son mm-hmm. or the story of the prodigal son. Most people, rightly so, in many ways, focus on the kid who ran away. Then there's the older brother who's just as lost, mm-hmm. who stays, but he's really just as lost, and he doesn't know the father, just the, like the son doesn't, the younger son doesn't know the father. What is that story really about? It's about the father. Mm-hmm. 
the way the father interacted with both sons and how he blessed both those sons and gave himself completely away and invested in them despite seeing no results, one son running away mm-hmm. and the other son being bitter and complaining and pretty much blaming his dad for everything. And yet the father gave himself to both kids. It was Henry Nowen who said the ultimate goal for both sons, the journey of both sons, is to become the father. Mm. That's what the story is really about, is that understanding that there is a heavenly father who, no matter how far we run, no matter how much we complain and blame him, continues to pour into us unconditionally. As Jesus said in Matthew, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. For your father in heaven sends the rain and the sun on the righteous and the unrighteous. So be like him. Be be like him. And this is the call for all of us. And this is what I hear in both of your stories, is that the very things that, especially as you were talking, Mm. the father wounds that Andy went through was like the very thing that God led him to receive the father's love so that he could reflect it to you. And it's the very, those very empty places, those places that lacked the love that you desired from your earthly father are the very places that are driving you to go to your heavenly father and learn who he really is, which there's an interesting thing about the word holy father, right? Holy means separation. Mm -hmm. And so what God is doing in this is bringing a holy separation, separating your your earthly father filters that you've been looking at your heavenly father through. Mm -hmm. He's separating those out. So you can see your Heavenly Father clearly and in fact yearn to know Him because of the lack from the earthly Father Mm -hmm. and then receive from Him and reflect. So this is actually God using all things and reconciling all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so your very wounds, if you will allow it, and you are, Yep. <laughs> the very thing that God is using to raise you up to be the father in that story who blesses unconditionally mm-hmm. without needing anything in return. Because as God told me two years ago very clearly, Kurt, this is, this is the journey. Hold to me and nothing else. Everyone else is fickle. Everyone else is finite. I've been married almost 30 years now and my wife does not love me like God loves me my wife does not love me unconditionally mm-hmm. and I don't love her unconditionally in the way that completely in the way that God does he's like there is no one who loves you like I do I am the safest place on earth yeah and the more that I allow him to highlight these wounds and let him speak into them and heal them the more that I speak that love and healing into other people. And I can tell you as I'm listening to to both of you talk, I'm just amazed because where you both are is so much farther down the road (laughs) than I was. 
at your age, like the things I'm saying right now, I'm 53. These are hard won, and some of them just within the last few years. And I listen to you, and I already see so much wisdom, so much wisdom, which is the knowledge of God through experience, right? Gained through hard won experience. And so the honesty, the vulnerability, that love to be willing to just bear the soul to these kids, which has given them a straight shot to the heart, to, you know, an unobstructed view to shoot arrows and, and create wounds. Mm-hmm. That is literally, that vulnerability is the power of God. I say it all the time. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, for I will give you rest for your souls. And here's the reason, for I am humble and lowly in spirit. Lowly, vulnerable, washing the disciples' feet, stripping off his outer clothes, Mm -hmm. knowing that in that moment he's washing the feet of the one who would betray him, washing the feet of the one who would deny him, washing the feet of those who would run and leave him alone, abandon him. And he stripped off all of his outer clothes and basically got himself down to, you know, almost naked. Yeah. And that is the safest place on earth. Like Jesus is down at our feet, always serving us. Mm-hmm. He, that's where he is. And when we accept his invitation and go down to that place of vulnerability, that is the superpower of God because People just want to be with people that they feel safe with. And i that's what I hear with you guys. These wounds and everything, they're tough. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it hurts to hear even you talk about it. But at the same time, I see in these wounds the very work of God to make you both the father mm-hmm. to many. That you are the woman at the well. Metaphorically speaking... You are the woman at the well affecting many. Mm. And and believe me, whether you know it or not, God is using you to raise up those two. And it may be just one or two yeah. in the midst, but those, those, those one or two are there. Those women at the well are there. And I just want to bless you both with that. Well, it's interesting too, because so this whole thing of me realizing a lot of this stuff with my dad came from... Like, when I went and met with Annie in April, that was after I had shared a part of the story that I didn't share right now, which I can, but I shared about some stuff that happened with my dad, and one of the students asked a question about it that I didn't have an answer to, and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, hold on, like, this whole thing that happened was never resolved, and that prompted me to go talk with Annie in April, and that prompted, you know, all this other stuff, so that journey of where I'm at with all this stuff with men and fathers came from a student asking me a question at youth group. So Mm. it's not a one way street either. And that's why, like I was talking with Kim on Sunday and encouraging her to share about the stuff she's currently going through with the students, not just the stuff we've been through because we get healed while we share that too. And as I've done more stuff with this church and, and seen the ways that God has been moving lately, that has been kind of the theme of people openly and honestly sharing about some of the heaviest stuff that they're currently going through. We did a prayer retreat at one point, and one of the women that was there was sharing about, because of stuff that was going on, that she was failing her son, that she was 
that she was setting him up for failure and all these things. And I got to tell her, like, as the son of a mother who has been through a lot of the same stuff you're talking about, I can tell you that I am better because she chose to overcome those things and to not let those things define her. And you are doing the same thing. And so the phrase of God works all things together for good, like that really does mean all things, all the things that we think are inconsequential or all the things that we think are too bad or all the things. (laughs) He uses all the things, which doesn't fit. In my worldview, like, there's things that I'm like, well, this doesn't really... I mean, like, what would God use this for? But it's like, he'll find a purpose for it. Like, he always does. And I, I will put the caveat in there that it's like, yes, God works all things together for good. That doesn't mean we get to use that as an excuse to pretend the pain doesn't, yes. doesn't exist. exist. Right. Absolutely. Because, I mean, Enneagram-wise is twos and nines and sevens, for that matter. Mm-hmm. We're numbers that tend to, like, to shy away from that aspect Mm -hmm. of it but look what god did through it it's like it's true god's done amazing things through our pain and our mess becomes our message but at the same time acknowledging the pain and being willing to mourn Mm -hmm. yes what should have been what your dad should have been for you what my dad should have been for me what my both of my mothers Mm should have been for me is also another part of the journey and one that if we try to skip that part and just go right to the God makes everything good part, we're actually missing out on part of what he wants for us in the healing process Mm -hmm. to make everything good is to first acknowledge and grieve for what wasn't. Mm -hmm. I can remember the first time that I was singing. I don't remember what song it is. Oh, I think it's the like the long version of No Longer Slaves. There's a part where it says, I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father. Mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. And I remember the first time that I heard that, it was like, it was the first time I think I could accept God as a father. Like that was one of the first times that I felt that embrace. I mean, it literally felt like arms around me or like a hand on my back or, you know, that type of stuff. And I am not a physical person. We talked about this before we started, but like on a one to 12 on physical touch, I'm a one. (laughs) So (laughs) like that, that whole thing was just a strange experience, but I don't know. I've just been on this journey of understanding God, the father over the last few years. And part of that has been grieving the dad that my father wasn't to me and grieving all these other men in my life who could have filled that role and been someone who poured into me or loved me well and didn't. I remember, how long ago was that? It's maybe eight months ago. Maybe more. I don't know. Time's been weird lately. But I found something out that had been happening to someone that I really care about. That it was something that I thought had happened, but was no longer happening. And I realized, or they told me that it had still been going on for this time. And I felt stupid and I felt like hurt I wasn't I don't know that I was angry with God I was just as someone who's empathetic to even just try and put myself in the place of this person and to feel even a little of what they felt or what years of something like that looks like I just was weeping to the point where I maybe shouldn't have been driving but I was just weeping and weeping and just I couldn't even sing I kept trying to like 
cry out and it just no nothing would come out of my mouth i just remember the grief in that moment and the the sadness that i felt that this had been going on throughout my relationship with this person and i didn't know that i didn't help and probably couldn't have helped but just that i was unawares for however long i just was crying out he just didn't say anything he just held me while mm. i cried <laughs> and that was enough God's voice is a powerful thing, and when he has talked to me, he has more or less wrecked my world, but that was a moment where I just needed to be held, and he held me. Wow. Man, thank you for sharing. Honestly, like I said, I had a lot of this I didn't know. Yeah, and I honestly didn't share a lot of the stuff I thought I was going to share, so... <laughs> <Who knew? laughs> Apparently God had a different plan. Yeah. It's good like that. Um, yeah. I do know one of the things we like to do as we're wrapping up, is have whoever we're interviewing pray for the people who will be listening to the podcast. Mm. There's probably people who really recognize and relate to a lot of what you were sharing. Mm. Um, so if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Uh, Lord Jesus, you, as a friend of mine used to say, you are a gentleman and you don't wreck us with your love unannounced, that you give us that invitation and wait for us to take it. And so, Lord, I just pray for anyone who's listening, that they would know that it's okay if they're in a place where they're not ready to tackle something that they've been wounded by or someone, that that doesn't disqualify them from your love. One of the things that you've taught me recently is that when we're dealing with the wounds or the, the negative things in our life that we're not ready to let go of yet, when we ask you for the good things to replace those it's like a dagger that's been stabbed into us being pushed out from the inside. Mm. And so, Lord, I just ask that whoever's listening, that you would fill them with joy or love or peace or hope or life or grace, mercy, goodness, patience, whatever it is that they need, Jesus. You know their needs, that you would just fill them up. And, Lord, I don't know what from what I've talked about, you're going to use to affect who or how. But as someone who has wrestled with and seen some pretty heavy stuff and some pretty dark things, Jesus, you are worth all the things that we could go through. That your presence in my life has been the one thing that has gotten me through so much that should have broken me. Your closeness to me has been the thing that rescued me from the muck in the mire, that your gentle hand reaching out or embracing me has been the thing that kept me aloft in the midst of sorrow and grief. Mm. And so, Lord, I just ask that for those listening that need a hug or an embrace from you, that they would feel that, that you would make room for that. And, Lord, I just pray for those listening that they would take that leap to be vulnerable and honest not just with you, but for the people in their circles, that they would say yes to sharing about the thing that they're currently going through, that they think everyone will walk away from or shame them for or hate them for. And Lord, when they share, that you would surround them with not only your presence and your love, but with a community and people that love and respect and want the best for them. And Lord, I thank you for the ways that you are using Kurt and Kim and for the ways that you're using me and Lord, I thank you for our collective testimony of all the ways that we've seen you work. And Lord, just 
as a last thing, <laughs> one of the things that I saw this last week was that you are not a scarce God, that there's not a limit to the amount of prayers that you can hear. There's not a limit to the stuff that you care about. There's not a limit to you at all. Mm. And so while, of course, we come to you with the big and the hard and the heavy things in our life, we also come to you with the little and the joy and with the inconsequential Thank you that you are enough for all of our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Zed, so much for coming on. Yeah. It's been an honor, and I look forward to keeping on serving with you. Yeah. Make a good team. Crushing it over there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can't even begin to articulate just how impressed I am with God and you guys and this conversation. I already sensed the power in this. So, yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And please know you can reach out to us with any of your questions, your prayer requests, or if you need help because you're feeling stuck in some area of your life. I am a coach for transformation that helps people move forward on their journey. If you want more information or you want prayer or you have questions, you can email me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. And as always, remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.